host of All Things Primitive. And this week I'm going to uh, share with you some recordings I made while I was in Central African Republic about two weeks ago, where I do uh, projects on fish farming, food security, working with a good friend of mine, Paul Noren, who uh, grew up there in Congo, Central African Republic area. And uh, he's got a lot of great stories about the uh, primitive ways of, of the people groups that, that he works with and hunting with them and some great hunting stories that uh, I should have been recording you know, the last eight years that I've been visiting Congo about two times a year because this is kind of like our nightly routine when just it's him and I and we're off somewhere alone uh, traveling and uh, just sitting around uh, killing time and, and telling stories and uh, he's full of them and so I just wanted to share with you guys some of Paul's stories from uh, Democratic Republic of Congo. And so I'll uh, apologize in advance. I didn't have a good microphone with. We were just using my phone to record. And uh, next time I'll, I'll have some little lapel mics to make a little better sound quality. But I thought it was still worth putting out there for you guys. Thanks. All right, I'm here in Bangui, Central African Republic. My name is Randy Bevis. And I'm here working with Paul Norin. And uh, we're just sitting here in a guest house killing some time. Might rain, some wind blowing. And uh, yeah, we're just going to talk about uh, all things kind of ancient and primitive here in, uh, where, where Paul grew up in the Democratic Republic of Congo, even though we're right across the river from Congo right now in Central African Republic. Well, Paul, why don't you give just a little background of, of who you are and... Uh, your experiences growing up here? Okay. Uh, yeah, so I was born over in, in Congo at the Karawa Mission Station in 1955. And I uh, grew, uh, grew up in that area uh, part of the time at Karawa, and then my folks were stationed at other places uh, further east and north and and around the area, so I got I got to be into quite a bit of the different parts of the Ubangi down in the forest areas and down along the Congo River, uh, in and out of out of that those areas. So we lived lived along the Congo River for a while. We're out in the islands and and paddling back and forth on huge expanses of water. I did some monkey hunting down there, and and then. Um, there's a big, big area of forest between between Bumba and the the border up here. Huge, huge section of forest. Still, still ten thousand square miles of forest there without one road going through it. Hmm. That was kind of the time the Belgians were there when you were. It was pre pre yeah. independence, right? Yeah, when I was yeah up until I was five years old. Uh, so I don't remember a lot about that time, but oh four when I was four and five, I remember quite a bit. I actually had my fifth birthday in Sweden, but. You had to leave we during the summer, yeah. It was kind of a violent independence time? Or uh, it, parts of the country were and parts of the country weren't. Okay. Uh, you know, people were feeling the ropes about getting independence. And that's, you know, that's, that's to be expected. So you had to flee but, across the Yubangi to, to Central yeah, Africa? Yeah, whether we needed to or not was maybe yeah. a debate, but that, it was yeah. considered wise to do so. Yeah. And, and so the children and and mothers left, and our our, our dad stayed yeah. through the entire independence time. And, mm. uh, so when when did you start hunting and stuff when you were in Congo? 
Yeah, back when I got a BB gun when I was in, uh, oh, like fifth grade or sixth grade, I that guess. That was like lizards and grasshoppers. And yeah, stuff. sixth grade. <laughs> well, before that, I mean, when I was slingshot. younger than that, yeah, we were using slingshots and stuff. I don't remember actually ever getting anything with a slingshot, but... And you had... Uh, a lot of my friends did. Poison arrow by accident that you guys were playing <laughs> with in the yard? Well, yeah, my mom, my mom bought some poison arrows. This is back when I was seven years old. She bought poison arrows and a bow and, and a bunch of poison arrows from, from somebody. And my, my four-year-old brother is out there playing with them. And I knew enough by that time, I, as, even as a seven-year-old, I knew what poison arrows were because I, you know, I knew that much about the, the culture around me. I, a lot of my, my best friends were, were Congolese kids and whatnot. So I, was, I spent a lot of time with them. So I said, Mom, the these are poison arrows. You can't have, you can't let Dan play with those. He scratches himself. It's all over. And and so she called the cook over and he said, Oh no 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 no. He yeah. took him away right away. He says this. He said that one scratch and he would die from that because they were really really bad. He'd so take, so take, one of your watchmen made me a cassette, you know, a couple of years yeah. ago, right? And yeah. I still have it there in North take Carolina. Them, and uh, it's pretty amazing. You know, you and I were shooting them to see how far we could shoot it. The bows, but it's about. 25 yeah. inches long yeah, about that. or something yeah. with yeah. a little and it's made out of a wild coffee tr- like branch basically or yeah shoot. it's a, na- a native a native wild coffee type that we have here and a, a little uh, rattan string right yeah. is what you call the string I yeah mean, the string the string is actually yeah part of a rattan uh, yeah. vine yeah and then the, the arrows are the most amazing part to me actually because it's a piece of grass blade makes the shaft and well the, it's the, gra- grass stem yeah Certain special different kinds of grass stems. There's there's two main ones that they use, and then, and one of them is really really for adults. Is, is the, the the bigger ones, with and then they put a a wood a wooden uh, point in it. Palm foreshadow. Yeah, and so they put that in. So the but yeah. where you put the the arrow on the string is really interesting. That that's the node of the grass stem. Where right. it, it so it's a tapered. It's amazing looking because it's it's a tapered arrow. Mm-hmm. That comes down to a widened node, and that's what you pinch with your fingers on the rattan, right? And then they they put this like what would you call it? like a bullet shape uh, palm in the yeah, front. Yeah, kind of, of it. a long. It's got a, a tine that goes into the grass, mm-hmm. quite a ways down, and then and then the rest of it sticks out and tapered off, of course. And then they they cut a little little um, like a fuzz stick almost kind of thing, circle on it, mm-hmm. just just a little bit to to hold. Uh, it, it kind of, if it sticks into something, it sticks. But if it's got poison on it, uh-huh. all you got to do with one of these, with the right poison, all you've got to do is poke a buffalo, and it's dead in two hours. Wow. And what's it's the poison again? I forget stuff. the... Well, it's two different, the main ingredients are two different kinds of vines that are found in the area, so... Huh. So it's not a, it's well, not one, a, it's not a one, snake or... No, it's, one's it's, a tree and one's a vine. Um, but yeah. Well, the other interesting thing was how they that that shaft of the arrow is connected to the to the fore shaft, the palm wood. It's it's a special kind of like a gooey a homemade rubber band. Rubber band. Yeah, instant rubber band. So what it is is that's that's the uh, roots from the Landolfia vine, which also produces a fruit that we eat. It's a. It's like the sap, basically. Yeah, and so it's a rubber sap. In fact, this is the this is one of the vines that produced rubber that Leopold was trying to ex- extract from Congo hmm. that caused you know, some of his agents to be cut, cut, cutting people's hands off. Hmm. 
Mm. Uh, so Leop, you, know, you read about Leopold's ghost or something like that. Yeah. Uh, that you know that this this caused terrible, terrible suffering. The ex- extraction of this rubber from I mean that it didn't happen up in our area. There was rubber extraction up there, but no one ever got their hands. So there was enough of these vines that you could actually produce yeah. it. Like so what people do is they would go out. Yeah, they're they're pretty common, and produce a lot of a lot of good fruit out there too. But so they take they take the vine. They cut off sections of it, and then they put that in water, and they let it soak for a month or two. Mm-hmm. And then they take it out, and it, it's kind of rotted at this point, but they peel it off carefully into these long strips, which look like something like big, thick cinnamon strips. Mm-hmm. And then, but thicker and thicker than that, you know. Anyway, and then they take a, make a, a bundle of that, and they put this over a smoke fire, you know, in, in their cookhouse. Mm-hmm. So almost all the people in our area have have what they call a cookhouse, a round hut that has a corn crib in it and a smoldering fire almost all the time to keep that corn dry and pest-free as much as possible because we have a, a climate here that's very humid and if you don't do something like that, you, you won't be able to save any kind of grain. Is that their seed corn for next year? Well, that's their eating corn, eating too. Eating corn, That's too. their eating corn and seed. Okay, so anyway, they dry this, this stuff until it becomes brittle and pretty hard, and then when you break it, the rubber that's in there has coagulated into these tiny little, it's got little, like little tiny pores in there. So when you pull it apart, it looks like a thousand spider webs. And then you just take, you break off like one inch of the end of one of these things, and then you take that, that one, that end, and you, and you use that and you wrap it, and all this stuff keeps coming out, and you wrap it around and wrap it around, and then you pull it off, and it's 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 an instant rubber band sticks on itself. Hmm. It's, so it's kind of like how you sinew on, on arrows. Yeah, like except in, you don't in, have to tie yeah. anything. Yeah, <laughs> it's just well, you know, people chew on get the spit yeah. to, to get yeah. sort of to stick to itself. But but it's pretty neat to see how how it was used. But the sad thing was, I looked at my arrows, and it's been like what five years since yeah. I got that kit from you, and the, that rubber's all gone. It's it, all it, gone. Oh no. Yeah. So it, and uh, there's a couple beetle holes and stuff in the shafts and whatnot so so it's something like you know you'd have to make these arrows and use them probably that year or two it's not something they would ever keep arrows that long well maybe if they're in the smoke it would stay better yeah i think if they stay in they um, keep them pretty long time in there but it's a little sad to me i I need some new arrows and your night watchman that made me that kit passed away unfortunately but um so yeah tell me about so he was a good man so how they would hunt with these, we were shooting them. What I remember, it was like two hundred paces that these arrows would fly. Yeah, we were, it was about a hundred yards. Yeah, a good. It was a good hunt. Well, yeah, hundred and twenty, I think. And there's no fletching on it, and it's it's yeah. a teeny. It's almost like a dart that you're shooting. Yeah, yeah. And and I can see how that would work good, like shooting monkeys in the canopy, because you don't have fletching to hit branches and stuff. They just goes nothing. Yeah, through. And what happens when you shoot a monkey with it? It'll poke the monkey. The monkey will react right away and, and maybe pull it out. And like, what was that? And drop it, you know. Yeah. And then the guy watches that monkey. And within 15 minutes, that the monkey is drunk and falls out of the tree. Yeah. And he doesn't know what's happened anymore. Yeah. Yeah. But they can if they cook the meat and everything else, it's no problem. If so, yeah. If it if, doesn't. What if you ingested that poison uncooked? Would it kill you? You know, it's different than I think. I think scratched. ingesting it isn't. I mean, a tiny bit. In fact, I a number of times I've tasted it. Yeah, I mean, you, you get a you get a poison arrow. Uh-huh. Is it still good? Because uh-huh. I mean, if it stays around for five or six years, it might not be good anymore. Uh-huh. 
and they normally put a like a little sheath over the tips of those arrows so yeah. that people don't scratch themselves. But anyway, pull it out, and so you gingerly touch your tongue. You don't want to cut your tongue, but you can gingerly touch your tongue to that poison. And if it if it's a little bit hot, a little bit it stings a little bit, you know it's still good. And you just spit, and it's not a problem. You don't want to cut yourself. You don't want to get in. But so saliva, or t- it's not a problem. You can handle it with your fingers. You don't want it in the bloodstream. But you don't want to get it in your bloodstream. You know? So they'd hunt everything up to, probably not elephants with that, but buffalo? Yeah, they didn't shoot elephants with those. Probably they couldn't penetrate the hide enough or something. Yeah. You know, but, but a buffalo, it's even amazing they could get it in far yeah. enough in the bloodstream. Well, buff- and buffalo, buffalo hide is really, is really strong, but really tough. But all... Pastor Fiacona said all he had to do was, you know, get a good, a good shot at the buffalo, even from the rear. If he could, if he could, jab that point into it even half an inch, mm-hmm. that thing would that didn't hurt the buffalo at all. Two hours, you said it killed him. Two hours, yeah, one one time, and then he would track it. Mm-hmm. He would track it, and he'd be dead. Mm-hmm. One time, he came up to a buffalo that was still alive, mm-hmm. and it. It came out on him. It charged him. And he didn't have time to get out of the way or anything. He didn't have time to pull his machete even at this point. So what he did was he uh, he put both his hands out and grabbed it by the horns. And it pushed him around. He was holding on to the horns and, and for all he was worth. And he was a strong man. And he was a pretty good sized guy too. And brave as all get out. So this buffalo in, yeah. the, in this region, yeah. it's it's like a cape buffalo, but it's called a forest. It's buffalo. called the forest buffalo. It's it's the same species, but it's a sub. It's a sub. It's a gradation of varieties of the African buffalo. But some people say they're possibly meaner in spirit it's than the Kaffir sincerus, and I think it's Kaffir yeah. uh, Kaffir sincerus. Yeah, the, yeah, the forest buffalo are they're they're dangerous animals. And they're reddish, reddish hue to them. A lot of them are red. Some are a little bit darker. They get further north, and then they're more black ones. But uh, their horns are, are a tighter. They're, they're not as long yeah, they, as they, the they, they don't go out in the sweep. They come, most of them turn back. They make a little bit of a curve right, right on the head here and just kind of curve right up behind the head a little bit. They can make a nice big thick boss right across the front like a buffalo is supposed to. Uh, a, a good mature buffalo doesn't have any space between its horns. But the, the challenging thing of hunting them is just how dense the forest dense, is here. You dense can't material, see yeah. I, I've been so close to them numbers of times. Like when, inside ten yards, something like that, right? Like oh yeah, in fact, in fact, in fact, up to up to three yards, <laughs> up to three yards from him. And he doesn't know you're there, and you don't know he's there. Well, they, they did eventually. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you're, you're sneaking up, and the guy's got a he has a cob of corn that he's got in. He's been holding inside of something you know like a he's got it wrapped up in some leaves or something and and then he takes that out and he scratches it real lightly and we have such bad wind currents in in these tropical areas here that they they can shift this way and that way we don't have a lot of wind that comes from one direction and keeps on going that way but but there's always some what's he doing with the cob corn i don't understand though okay he, he, he's he takes a, a he takes a cob of corn uh-huh. I mean, they're just the corn cob. Uh-huh. And he's, he scratches that with his thumb and little tiny bits of silk and stuff from that. Uh-huh. He's from watching the wind current. It comes down, yeah. And that floats down and and it's, it's very, very quiet. Uh-huh. There is a way that's even better and that's with a match. Uh-huh. So you strike a match down here, but that's gonna make noise. Yeah. 
And if you're five meters from a buffalo, you don't want to be making noise no. like that. No. So I'd be shaking. I wouldn't be able to light the match. So we're standing there, and, and he's scratching this, and he's just really quiet. But we've come, you know, down, downwind from them, not, not above them. So we figure out which way the wind is, but it's not much wind. And so we're following, and he's checking this really carefully. Well, then you see, and what's really, what's really bad is when you're standing there, and all of a sudden you feel a tiny bit of coolness on your back. Yeah. You know that, uh-oh, you're, you're cooked. Well, you because might about get gored, right? Your, your smell is going to hit these, <laughs> yeah. well... The good thing is, is that those things jump up and go the other direction as yeah. fast as they can, almost all the time. Yeah. And, and that's where we get to uh, Nzaba's dad. Yeah. Who, so Sophia Kona shot the, oh, okay, he, so he gets pushed around by this buffalo. Yeah. And he held on to the horns until the buffalo wearied from the poison. From the poison, and they both fell over. Huh. And he hung, he hung on to the buffalo's horns on the ground, laying there in front of the buffalo, with the buffalo laying down too, until he knew that the buffalo had expired. Huh. <laughs> then he got up and left it. Huh. But anyway, so Nzaba, Nzaba's dad, so this old cook, he was quite a hunter, and he told me a lot of stories about hunting with his dad, hunting elephant, and that was with old muzzle loaders, and with, with a spear that they would put in the end of the gun. They put a whole spear in there wow. called a longo. And, uh, and what gauge would that be, like an 8-gauge or something? Or even well, bigger? probably about a 12-gauge. 12-gauge yeah. gun, but they they wanted to shoot a buff, I mean, an elephant you know, from here to that doorway. I mean, like, like you know, 12 feet. Yeah. yeah anything, anything further than that was a little bit too far for this kind of a thing. Hmm. But they had, that, they had that blade, razor sharp, yeah. and it wasn't a it wasn't a pointed blade. It was a, it was a wide curved blade. Mm -hmm. So, this is kind of your blunderbuss of uh, the spear, the spear days. So, it was a shaft, a short shaft with a. It came. I mean, the, the shaft came all the way down to your powder. Yeah. And how in the world this didn't blow your gun up? But there was a lot of blow by. Yeah. There was a lot of blow by on this. So, but anyway, that shaft had come flying out and go into an elephant and cut cut a swath you know uh, like three inches wide huh. as it went through huh. and so if it went in even even uh, like 30 inches boy that's far enough yeah that was all that's it go through ribs or bounce off ribs or it would it would it cut through a rib yeah, yeah. it cut through a rib huh. but they always but they always wanted to shoot with the blade up and down not sideways when they shot yeah. at an elephant. Yeah. They didn't, they, they'd rather go between the ribs. Yeah. With the buffalo, they tried to, they did that with the buffalo too sometimes, but, oh, I remember an accident that came in one time, oof, when I was a kid. Guys had been hunting the buffalo and, and uh, they, had, they had kind of made a circle around this buffalo with kind of like a, a, a loop, mm -hmm. a horseshoe kind of a thing, and squirted the buffalo out between the guys at the end and they didn't plan that very well. And the guy over here, he shot at the oh. buffalo and went over the back of the buffalo and went right through the hips of his friend over there. Mm -hmm. And it chopped him up to absolute, they, they brought him in, he was alive, but he didn't last very long. Yeah. It was a sad, yeah. I was only seven years old when I you saw that. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, 
uh, so back to Zaba, his dad hunted buffalo with spears. And he would, and he would. What years would that have been like? Uh, this would 19- have been. 30s or? Yeah, 20s. Uh-huh. 20s and mostly the 20s. Uh-huh. He was probably a big car. Up, up to about 1930, was he like probably. Pastor Dole, big size guy. He was like that? Yeah. And a lot better shape than. Strong, yeah. Pastor Dole, yeah. Yeah, yeah young. And, and Zaba was a big guy, like that. Yeah. And, and he, and these guys, he had, he had spears that were, you know, these were nice long blades that were fairly pointed at, at, at the one end and then got pretty broad and then went, went down again. Okay, so you're talking about like an 18 inch blade. And he would go out with like four of these blades. And Nzaba, as a, starting at about 15 years of age, and that would have been, yeah, that would have been probably about 1930 mm-hmm. when he started doing that. And so, so his dad would sneak, he would go behind, he, w- he would hold these extra spears. His dad had one. Mm-hmm. And he carried three and, and a bag of some other stuff, you know. But, and so what happened was, if his dad used a spear, he put his hand out and he had to reload in it right now. Because mm-hmm. Zaba put that, he put the spear in the right direction. I mean, yeah. when he put his hand out, the spear came into his hand ready to throw. Mm-hmm. So he didn't have to flip it around or anything like that. He's already he, in the back motion, yeah. so it's in your yeah, hand. Yeah, it's you in throw. your hand and he can do it. And yeah. so, so this was his reload and he had, he had three reloads. Yeah. So, so Zaba said, yeah, he said, we'd sneak up on him. He'd do that thing that my, my friend Tino did with the, with the corn cob. And, you know, and I watched Tina do that a number of times. It'd be a herd, was, though, right? There'd, be, sneaking there'd up. be normally... Less yeah, they're normally... Low and bull or something. Yeah, it, from, from as little as three, three up to 12 or something like that in the, the, the forest buffalo. Yeah. I've, I've seen a couple of herds that were bigger than that, but not often. Maybe up to 18, but uh, quite often five, six, something like that. Normally with one... One bull and so he's trying to get uh, several cows, ten yards, something like that. Oh you know, no, he's trying to he's trying to get these things from two yards. Two yards. Yeah, and so like like I was like I, I experienced that with Tino, where we sneak up on these things. I've got a three hundred magnum in my yeah. hand. Yeah. But the sobe is pretty tall. The so, this grass, the sword grass, it's pretty tall, and it's thick, and so we know the buffalo are right close here. They're bedded. But they're bedded. Yeah, they're laying down their side. And I don't know exactly how close they are, but I know they're really close. And Tino's being really careful. He's got his spear in his hand. And he was a big guy, too. Tino was a strong, big guy. Uh, like, six feet and muscular. Okay? So, he um, he's checking this out. And we're standing there. And we can see that the, the wind has moved about three inches. <laughs> the direction of where the buffalo are. And all of a sudden the buffalo stand up and there's literally a space like from me to you of grass between me and the buffalo. The buffalo is about a yard and a half from me on the other side of this grass. That's that's where it is laying down. And it jumps up and and the whole whole herd does right there. And they lumber off through the grass the other direction and the grass is too tall in that case to... It wasn't open 
you know, if it had been burned or something, I probably could have taken a shot. But in this case, they see a tail up in the air and the top of a of a butt. You couldn't away. see a vital good enough to take a shot before he was. No, I would see. I would see. Sometimes I would see yeah. the horns yeah. running You're through the grass. You're waiting for him to stand but, up and give you something. Yeah. And anyway, so so I, I experienced sneaking up on him like that several times. I've had buffalo jump up on me several times that are that close. A little different and, than a pheasant at your feet. And every, yeah, and every time it happens, <laughs> I, I'm thankful they decided to run the other direction because if they'd run my direction, yeah. I, I wouldn't have had time to put my hands in front of me hardly. Yeah. They'd run you over. But anyway, so, so Nzaba's dad, he's, he's talking to me, he says, well, he said, yeah, we should sneak right up on him. He said, and he would look over the top of that, that sobe grass and see the buffalo laying there. And he would choose the closest one, of course, whatever it was. Yeah. And he would raise up with his spear and put it, and, and buffalo were no gaps between them. So he had to really put that spear through the ribs. I mean, yeah. it, it went through the bone. Yeah. And he, he, he didn't... He didn't know, let go of the spear? He, was he still hanging onto it the whole, all the way through? He, he, yeah, he held it, and he held that spear all the way down in and then let go and then grabbed for another spear. Uh-huh. And then that one, he would... If the buffalo jumped up and started to run, that second one went in wherever it could go in, yeah. as fast as he could throw it, and he and he knew how to throw a spear really well up to you know. How heavy do you think that seven or eight yards away? But how heavy is a spear like that? Uh, Thirty pounds? Or no, 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 no. Like uh, probably six or seven pounds. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. That's super heavy. And uh, I mean, they, it's good strong wood, but then the head is the heaviest yeah. thing there. Well, it they, is, ba- it still they balance. They balance like it would be kind of heavy for how big it is. Yeah, they balance them. And so, yeah, they're, but anyway. So yeah. how far could he throw, like, pretty accurate, like, 20 yards? Can he throw pretty well? I, he, he, I don't know, because he never, he never you know, he, I don't think he threw very far, but I, I wouldn't have wanted to be more than, uh, you know, I, I would have wanted to be more than 20 yards from him if he was throwing it at you, that's for sure. Yeah. But it, he, um, but up, you know, seven or eight yards as they're, as they're leaving, he, he got another shot in. So then Zaba tells me, he says, so one day he said we did that, and he said the buffalo jumped up and didn't, he, he went, he, he raised up to, to spirit, uh-huh. and the buffalo jumped up and faced him, uh-huh. just like that. Uh-huh. And, and he hadn't he, thrown this first. No, he hadn't thrown the spirits. He's, yeah. he's, re- he's just cocked and ready yeah. to go, and the buffalo jumps up and faces him. And said, now what do you do? Yeah. Well, what can you do? But this guy was really good, and he without missing a beat, he put that spear straight down along the side of the neck of the, yeah. like a, the collar. like a matador of some kind. Yeah. Put it right down there and shoved that, shoved that spear right in. And Zaba said, the buffalo sat down on its haunches like a dog and then fell over. <laughs> Never got up, just sure. boom, you done. You out the order or yeah. something, right? Was yeah, like yeah. Hmm. That was, that was, yeah, and Zaba's dad, boy, I tell you, that was, and I, and, I, and, I, and I wonder, how do you learn to do that? No. <laughs> it's kind of innate, I think, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, well, it, and it's, it's one of those things. It's experience, too. That's one of those, if I'd practiced a lot at it, yeah. and I was out with Tino, I could have done that. Yeah. But that's one of those things I didn't, I didn't have time to practice that kind that's of stuff. That's a pretty ballsy thing to do, though. I mean, to, yeah. I mean, how many times did he get charged by a wounded buffalo with, a, with spears in him? Like, how many buffalo did he get killed? I don't know. He, he, he used to do it fairly often. He'd sell the meat. I, I, I bet he got 50 or more doing that. He was a meat hunter, basically, selling the meat. He, yeah, he, he was quite a hunter. He, he, did, he did buffalo, he did, he did antelope, he did... 
different kinds, uh, pig, but and uh, and he was an elephant hunter, but he didn't use spears. They carried spears with him, but he didn't. Yeah. He didn't actually ever go up and spear. I don't think an elephant by himself. Yeah, tell me about you told me before about how. So which is was he Baca Mbaka? Mm-hmm. And was it Mbaka the ones that would make the hide in the trees for the elephant with the spear? No, that was the Pakabeti. Pakabeti. Pakabeti would yeah they would spear elephant with a with a kind of a trap. Uh-huh. It was a setup. Where did they live in Congo in the Ubangi? Are they uh, they're on the eastern side of the Ubangi in the forest zone. Okay, like yeah. past Lokambi up that way where. We- yeah, oh, up there. Okay. Yeah, across the Lokambe River there. From from Loco, you go straight east. In that ten thousand square mile forest, uh, they're they're in there and over to the far side of it. So there's there's all kinds of stuff. The animal species in there. There'd be okapi, right? There's okapi, which in there, is yeah. only in this yeah. area. There's there's gorilla. There's is there chimpanzees? No, yeah, there's chimpanzees. No gorillas. But there's in that area. Forest uh, pig. Yeah, forest pig. Uh, red. Red pig. Red red pig. Yeah. There'd be hippos in the water, and there'd be forest elephant. Well, there's and and, yeah, the, and the buffalo, buffalo, bongo, right. antelope. Yeah, the bongo, big, big forest antelope. And then, of course, there's Sichitunga, which are the next smaller size in the bongo family. There, yeah, uh, they're pretty good size, and other things. Uh, so how would they water hunt? Buck and, how would they hunt the elephant then? So again, the so what what the Pakabeti did, and they were in real forest. They had hardly any. Uh, hardly any open area at all down in their area. A few places where there was water mm-hmm. and stuff, that, so there'd be a little bit of like marsh, open there, yeah. but marshy places that were open. But otherwise, it was it's pretty much solid forest cover down in that area for lar- large, large expanses. And and so, so what they would do is they would they would find a place that elephants used a lot, a trail that they they commonly walked on down to water or something like that. And I've seen I've seen these in old forest places, you know, mm-hmm. where this this was an elephant you, trail going down. You can down see the, their footprints in the Well not anymore, but I mean you yeah. can see, but, but the cutout going down to the streams and yeah, elephant yeah. elephant working on it. Like we saw those hippo ones in the yeah, local like, river. Yeah, that's those hippo elephant, things, yeah. yeah. They're old they're just long time use yeah. in them. So yeah. so what they would do is they would choose a, a place where they would make kind of like a bridge. So above above the trail, they would build a, a little platform from one tree to another with you know several several poles up there holding, you know, making this little bridge. And then there would be a, then they would build a, a kind of a blind of leaves up there. Very a very narrow blind. So it just looked like just looked like leaves hanging there that were thick. And and then down below, they they had it figured out really well. Exactly, exactly how far uh, an elephant had to walk past the their stand, the bridge, uh, in order to want to stab them in the right spot from above. Okay, so to put. Put a spear down alongside of the of the backbone. You didn't want to hit that. They want to go. For, they're going for the heart. Yeah, they're going. Yeah, yeah they're, they're trying to go down straight towards the heart through the lungs, whatever. Okay, so so they had this little this little little blind that they built up there, and then they had this 
this platform, and and then they would put a vine down across the the way down below, and so that vine was a was a trigger of a sort, but it was only a measuring stick. It was it was a, it was a it was a way to measure whether the uh, the animal was far enough. How did the guy know that he's hitting the vine? Does the vine extend up to where he is? Yeah, it, he, yeah, the vine went across, and then there was he could he could see that move. Yeah, it, it, it's now that the elephant's legs have hit the vine. Okay, so when the elephant's legs hit the vine, when the knees hit the vine and it's taken another step, that's when he had to. That's when he had to plunge a spear in as the animal was. He had to step out of his blind. He had to step out of his vine really quickly, out of his blind, and out onto the out onto the bridge, and then and then plunge this thing in, and you know, old Pastor Bangui, who was telling me about this too, said said it needed to be a good strong man to do it. Yeah. And and he said, and that guy had to use all of his might to get that thing in. So they used heavy spears with, um, and I don't know if they used a special spear with a weight on it on that one or not. I don't remember him telling me that. You'd think you'd want to, but just the weight of the, anyway. the wood that you use for yeah. the, the length of it maybe is longer, right? Yeah, and then it was it was a good spear with a long long blade, and and it was. It was you a wouldn't good, want barbs on blade. the blade, obviously. No, no barbs on that. And then as soon as as soon as the elephant, he said sometimes the elephants they'd be suspicious. Yeah, they'd come to a place like that and they would look and say, wait a minute, what's this bridge doing over our, yeah. over our path here? And they had to build it high enough so that the elephants wouldn't be hitting it. Yeah. So it's got to be up more than ten feet off the ground. This you know this bridge. They had two different kinds. They had both the forest elephant and the, um, and the regular African bush elephant, in that area. And I, I came across the uh, one time I came across elephants in that area was they were the big ones they were the the bush elephant and my dad got a picture of one that was not even a hundred yards off the road that that had been shot and one of the pastors uh, that was there stopped him and said you got to see this and dad thought well he said this is real close and dad's thinking yeah a kilometer away no 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 he says really close he says like you can almost see it right here. So dad went in to look, and sure enough, he got pictures of it. And that was one of the bush elephants. It was a big one. So when it was laying on its side, it was, you know, like five and a half feet tall already, just it's laying on its side. Cage, yeah. But anyway, uh, and then they had the smaller, the smaller forest elephants, and they normally traveled in bigger groups. And they, everyone said, yeah, they're more dangerous than the big ones. But we, we came across the big ones, that were in there, and boy, they make just they're just coming slowly, and just. So would they take the first one always in the, or would they? Well, the first one that was in the line would yeah. be the one that would get yeah. But then you got it, and so often that would be that would be a matriarch. Yeah. Well, they would stop there. They would stop in front of this bridge and, and like check it out, like well, what's going on here? And he said, and sometimes it wouldn't work. Sometimes they'd back up and go around. But other times they would, they would kind of look a little bit and put their trunks up, and the guy would just sit there abs. He didn't even want to breathe. Yeah. And then they, well, they would, can smell with the trunk, right? I mean, you yeah, can smell they smell it. really, really well too. It's like super. So I mean, if, if the, and this guy had to wash really well. Yeah, he had to wash really, really well before he went up there. And then maybe they they even put like palm oil or something on themselves to 
to try, try to cover like like uh, to keep other body orders from coming out. But uh, then uh, when that they started to walk, then he would come. He would come as as the elephant was already under the bridge. When his head started coming out the other side, he was ready. And then and then when he saw the the vine move, then he was then he stepped out. He was just basically one step, or maybe maybe two at the most. But he was there, and he had his spear already. His spear was already waiting there, I think. Okay, and then he just picked it up. It was like standing there, and braced against something, whatever. And then he would pick that off of the stand that was already prepared, and he would plunge that thing in as hard as he could, and the elephant would run away. And all the elephants, and then he would run back and hang on to his uh, <laughs> to his yeah. blind for for dear life, yes. because the trees would be bumping around and then, you know, yeah. be in danger of being knocked over and all that. If it's a big tree, it wasn't a problem. You wonder how many generations they've been doing that kind of hunting, you know, for like a long you know, time. A long time, and they got it figured out really well too. Yeah. How to do that? Did they really prize elephant meat? Was that considered? Well. Yeah, I mean, that, that was one of the one of the big things that they hunted in that area. They, they were they were real elephant hunters in the Pakabeti work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Pastor Bangier, people accused him of having all kinds of medicines and so forth. That he said, "I've never used any kind of medicine ever." He said, "Even you mean like magic." You mean? He said, "Before I became a Christian, even." Yeah. You mean like magic? He said, "I never used." He said, "I never used anything magical at all. Nothing." Yeah. And and uh, was he a Pakabeti guy? Yeah, he was Pakabeti. And he he ended up being gored really badly by a by an elephant. And was he the one that maybe told the story where he was in the roots of the tree? Yeah, yeah. He what happened with that one? Well, he, at that point he shot. Okay, so he's the one telling me how they did the spearing thing. But he's using guns now, right? But he was using one of these uh, muzzle loaders with the with the uh, oh, spear. the spear blade in it. Uh-huh. So he was out hunting, and an elephant. Something it, what it came down the trail and got spooked somehow and turned around and came running back the other direction and he was back here so it came running right by him so he stood behind a tree as it came and and as it went by he he shot at it from I mean the the spear when he pulled the trigger the spear wasn't even ten inches from the side of the elephant yeah. boom in it went. But his gun sort of misfired. Uh-huh. It didn't. It was it was a kind of a dud charge. So the so the spear stuck in, but it only stuck in like like eight inches or something like that. Yeah. It might have even gone in ten inches, but it didn't go all the way in. And and it kept on running a little bit, and then stopped. And his there was confusion with the elephant because then it wanted to go after somebody at this point for some reason. I mean, it decided to go after the people that had shot at it, right? Yeah. But his his brother and somebody were down this direction and were behind him over here. So when they yelled about, they heard the gun and they, and they yelled, then the elephant turned around and came back, but it but it came after Pastor Bangier instead. So he went running for his life through the woods and the elephant charging right behind him there and he said by the time he, he stayed ahead of it for just a short while 
going through the brush as fast as he could. And he said, and by the time he he got to a big tree, well, no, he got he didn't get to a big tree. The elephant caught him. A, a vine caught him across the middle as he was trying to go, yeah. and he he couldn't get over it in time. And the elephant caught him, and when the elephant caught him, he. Um, Oh man, I'm, I'm forgetting some of the story just a little bit, but he ended up he ended up trying to trying to get away, and the elephant gored him. He grabbed him by, by with his trunk, and 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 threw him on the ground, and then came down with his with his with his with his tusks. And one of the tusks went right through the back of his leg, through his, through his leg, and came out kind of over here near near his knee, and and then and the other one went through the up uh, the upper part a little bit in the thigh area. So he was he was not in any good shape. I couldn't walk at all. I would think. But. Well, yeah, you think you wouldn't be able to even get up, no. but. But then, after it did that, it it pulled it pulled his tusks out, pushed him off with his trunk, pulled pulled his tusks out, and then came and tried to tried to squash him, and put his tusk went down into the ground on both sides. This was a bull, and so he was laying on the ground at this point, and the elephant came down on him with his head. And tried to crush him and put his tusk into the ground on either side of his chest. And what he did then was, he said he got in, his tusk went into the ground quite a ways and kind of like stopped. And so he reached around with his arms at this point and grabbed hold of the tusk under his arms. And so he had, he, had, he had his arms around each tusk and was holding on for dear life. For dear life. Yeah. And then the elephant so it stood. just enraged the elephant more, wouldn't it? Yeah, well then the elephant stood up. And he's on the tusks. Yeah. He, so he's hanging on, he's hanging on the tusks that, you know, his feet are two feet off the ground here or whatever, hanging on the tusks. And, and then the elephant set him down so his feet were touching the ground. And with his trunk, you know, behind him here, he just pushed him off. He, the elephant pushed him off of his tusk. And he, there's nothing he could do about it. I mean, he was, was too strong. He just pushed him off. And there he stood, and by that point he didn't have a stitch of clothing left on him because it had all been ripped off as he was trying to get away. Yeah. So he said, there I was standing naked with an elephant standing behind me that's wounded, yeah. and I'm wounded and bleeding like crazy. Was that when the elephant just let him go? Was and, that the story? Well, he said, and then the elephant put him out at trunk length. Yeah. He put him all the way out to the end of his trunk and stood there. Mm-hmm. And they both stood there. And it's like all of a sudden the elephant was like in a daze of some kind. And he stood there, and then Pastor Bungie made a, like a baby step forward. And he was able to stand. Yeah, and then he was standing there. Now the elephant's standing there, like almost in a trance. And he's, and put him out at, at, at trunk length in front of him. So he's standing, facing away at trunk length from the elephant standing right behind him. And doesn't know what's going to happen now, and and all of a sudden, his brother 
who's behind him, calls him. Calls really loud for him. And the elephant sort of wakes up and turns around and runs that direction after his brother. Mm. And so Bangier then shoots forward and gets into the, the roots of this big tree. Well, actually, actually, I'm sorry. I think, I think Bangier did that. He, he, he did a couple of baby steps away from the elephant while he was standing there, just like that. And then he realized, I can make a getaway. There's a really big tree there with deep buttress roots. So he, he dove into that and got into those roots. And the elephant came over and started looking for him. And then his brother called, and the elephant turned and ran that direction towards his brother. And so now his brother, the elephant ran that direction. And when the elephant came running by, uh, his brother stepped off the trail. And I don't know if he shot it again or what happened, but anyway, the elephant kept on going. And so, and then, and then Bangui yelled from under the roots of the tree. He didn't think he was going to survive. He thought he was going to bleed to death there. So he yelled, he said, he yelled as loud as he could, he said, and his brother answered, he said, when you come here, he said, I'm, I'm, I'm stuck inside the roots of a big tree. Well, they knew exactly where it was when they got there because the place where the elephant and Bangui had been was all smashed down. Uh, it, had, it had been this vine that had caught that caught Pastor Bangui there, but then now it was all flattened by the elephant moving around there and stuff. And so, um, anyway, they, they found him, they carried him out. That was kind of the end of his career? It was kind of over at that time then, the hunting career? Well, sort of. He And then they thought he was going to die, and he didn't, he didn't die by the next morning, so then they had the trouble to have to try to get him out of the jungle. And it's a long ways out of there. I've been in there to that, that village. And it's a it's a long ways in. So they they took him all the way out to to a long day's walk, carrying him, and then crossing a river, and out to a place called Monveda, and then and then from there it's like thirty kilometers up to a Catholic mission that has a has a uh, health center or a little hospital or something. It's not really a hospital, but a, a health health facility, and there the the, the nurse or whoever it was looked and said, I, I can't do anything with this. We have to send him to, he might have been there a little bit, but he said, we have to send him to, to the real hospital at Karawa, which is another uh, almost 200 kilometers away. Well, 100 and, yeah, 150 maybe, whatever, I don't know. I can't remember exactly, but it's, it's, a, good, it's a good part, good you know, distance. And so they got him to Karawa, and one of his uncles from from uh, Berberati, not from, I'm sorry, from uh, Pakabeti land there, from Ngakpo, uh, came all the way to Karawa to visit him. And he said they were taking pus out of his leg here, like he said, like basins full. <laughs> it was just, he said it was unbelievable. And, but so he was in the hospital for quite a long time. But his uncle came and gave him a, a little New Testament Lingala. Mm-hmm. He said, will you be willing to read this now? And he looked at it and said, yes. And he became a Christian. Hmm. Yeah. And then he went back and, and he said, about, about elephant hunting, mm-hmm. he went back and people said, now that you've become a Christian, you won't be able to shoot any more elephants because you had all this medicine. Hmm. He said, so I went back into the woods. He said, after all of this, 
He says, and I shot more elephants in the next several months than anybody could imagine. He said, yeah. They said, no, he's doing even better than he did before. He says, and then, I, then I went out and went into Bible school and, and seminary what kind of stuff. And so anyway, so he was a pastor for the CWIM for, for the Covenant Church. So what years was, was that when he was hunting those that way? Uh, that was in the 70s. So we're, I remember when, when I was here last time, they were talking about they couldn't find gunpowder and they were taking matches Remember that? And they, yeah. were, they were packing 12-gauge shells with, with, with matchstick. With match, yeah. Remember? Yeah. What, what was he using back then on a gun like that? Uh, they, he, he, had, he had black powder that they, they could buy. Yeah. 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 Huh. They had to go long ways to get it. But getting it wet and stuff. And, and back when he was doing that, he said, oh, he said, Paul, he said, no one's even touched the monkeys in our area. Yeah. And then it was, it was uh, like in the 1980s, he said... Yeah, people are starting in on the monkeys now. Ligaments were cut. Well, thanks for the stories. Yeah. Story time with Uncle Paul. Anyway, yeah. Getting tired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll maybe try again another night. Yeah. There's there's some good stories. I, sh- I should have been doing this the last, like, ten years that I've been traveling here. Some other subjects. All right. Well, good night, all.